Imagine getting to speak around the world, meeting the most successful, positive leaders, and then getting to choose from that group. That's what this leadership podcast is all about. Learning from the best, how to be your best, so that we can challenge ourselves to lead with purpose, impacting lives and changing communities. I'm so glad you're part of this leadership podcast community, where together we learn, lead, and leave a lasting legacy. Welcome to Garage to Goliath. I'm Dan Quiggle, and I'm honored to have Molly Gimmel joining us today. Molly is an author, entrepreneur, advocate, and speaker. With such a wide range of experience, she's passionate about inspiring women to lead with authenticity and community building in mind. She served on the board of the National Association of Women Business Owners from 2014 to 2020 and was chair for a year after that. She has been a delegate for the G20 Summit Working Group on Women's Issues, and she doesn't stop there. She is the CEO and founder of Design to Delivery, Inc., and founded the Valamo Leadership Institute, where she helps women develop further as leaders. Her new book, Master Your Mindset, How Women Leaders Step Up, is available now. So Molly, thank you so much for being here today. I'm super excited to talk with you. So first and foremost, Molly, wow, you have so much that you've done and are doing right now. I'm curious about how you, you know, how and where it all started. When did you kind of discover your passion for leadership? Tell me a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, I started my business in 2001. After 10 years working in the corporate world, I was at Deloitte and one of my coworkers and I started talking and decided to leave and start our own company. And I had never owned a business before, never been an entrepreneur, never done sales of any kind. So I soon after I started the business, I joined NABA, which is the National Association of Women Business Owners because they had a lot of workshops and different events focused around how to run a business, how to grow your business, things like that. And so I got very involved in that organization here at the local level in the DC area. And then after several years on the local chapter board, served as chapter president, all that, um, got involved at the national level because it's a it's a big organization. We've got 50 some chapters across the country and um, not only are there local chapters, but then there's also the national organization. And so I got involved there, volunteered for several committees and then joined the national board of directors and then spent six years on the national board, including a year as chair of the board. And so really it's my NABO experience that got me interested in leadership because I just found it really interesting. I would see that some of our chapters would be thriving and growing. And then a few years later would be struggling or vice versa would be struggling. And a few years later would be growing and thriving. And, and when you looked at the reasons behind those things, it was almost always leadership, um, the chapter leadership, because it's a volunteer organization, the chapter presidents change every year. It's always someone different. And so seeing the difference of how much difference a, the leader actually makes to the success of the organization, I found it really, really interesting. So as my term on the national board ended a few years ago, I started really looking into the subject and decided to write the book about it. Nice. You know, it's interesting you say that because, so I used to speak a lot for Leadership Institute as an organization we speak on college campuses. And what I loved about that, one of the things that we used to say is, hey, we won't judge your success by what you do while you lead. I mean, we will to an extent, but what happens when you're gone? Like, does the organization just crumble? Have you just built it around yourself? You know, so I think that that I, you got to see that firsthand with all these organizations across the country and leadership does matter, whether it's in a family, whether it's in a business, you know, or a sports team, whatever it is. So, mm -hmm. uh, so you're a huge inspiration to so many women and I commend you for that. Thank you. Can you think of a mentor or person who, ins you know, first inspired you to be the best version of yourself? Oh, so many. <laughs> 
So many. Yeah. You know, in early in my career, I had several bosses, several mentors who were really instrumental in pushing me to step up and take leadership positions and take on responsibilities that were outside my comfort zone. But they saw that I had the potential, the ability to do those things. And then um, later, as after I started my business and got involved in NABO, there were several women who, um, again, saw potential in me, asked me to step up and join the chapter board, for example, or be the chapter president or participate on the national committees and and really encouraged me to um, step up and lead. So you, you say that like multiple people saw that you know, something in you. What do you think they were seeing in you? <laughs> That's a good question. I never really thought about that. I guess they just saw that I had the ability to do more than I was doing at the time, or that maybe they saw that, you know, one of my strengths and one of the things I talk about in the book is, is connecting with people, how important it is in, to be a leader. And I've always been a connector. I always have had big groups of friends and I've always kind of been the organizer of, of the things and the activities and stuff. And so they, I, th I guess they saw that I, I have a tendency to bring people in and to make them feel connected and feel belonging and um, included. And so, and that's, I think one of the strengths, one of my strengths. And I think it's also one of the um, important characteristics of an effective leader. Well, they, they say, if you ever want something done, you should ask a busy person. Because the first thing they'll say is, I don't have time for that. And then they'll get it done right away. Exactly. <laughs> so used to that. So so maybe you're one of those people. I could, I could see it already. Uh, but no, you know, it, it is interesting because your work revolves heavily around giving other women the tools and skills they need to lead effectively. And so amongst the women that you coach, like what would you say is the first thing you try to instill in them? The first thing I try to instill in them is confidence. Confidence in themselves as a leader because so many women weren't brought up to think of themselves that way. They have the ability, they have the skills that are necessary, but it's a mindset issue. And so trying to let them know, yes, you are a leader. Yes, you do have this ability. Yes, you can effectively lead people, I think is the very first thing that you have to make sure that they know. Get them past the imposter syndrome, get them past um, the negative Nancy in their head and make them understand and believe in themselves as a leader. Well, also, you know, it, it is interesting because I've, I've been fortunate to have my own companies and, and it, you know, you, you not only have to be right all the time, but it's very hard, hard to show vulnerability, you know, to show like emotion or to, to show concern. Like, I can't even imagine walking into a conference room and be like, I don't even know what to do. You know what I mean? Like you, you kind of have to, at least the perception be, you know what to do. How, do. how does that play out? Like just trying to be strong all the time for everyone around you. I'm sure you see that that often. Well, you do, but you have to, you have to be strong, but you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be right all the time. And, but the thing is, is that it's how you handle it when you're not. So I think it's more important. It's less important to be right all the time than it is to acknowledge when you have made a mistake and then correct it and take responsibility for it. I think that's more important. And that instills actually, I think people respect a leader who does that more than they respect a leader who's right all the time. 100%. I, I love that. And there, there's no perfect Come no. on, and you're never going to make all the decisions right not. all the time. And so, so I do, I do love that it's, it's the way you handle that and the way you communicate that and maybe even acknowledge it, yeah. accept it and move forward based, based upon Absolutely. it. Absolutely. So what is, what, what is the challenge that you see developing leaders running into most often? Like how do you, and maybe how do you approach that issue? 
I don't know that there's just there's one. Um, there's so many challenges, you know, especially for women um, as they're developing. Part of it is training. A lot of women don't get the training, you know, and I think that's not just a woman thing. I think a lot of people are good at what they do. So they get promoted to manage other people who are doing that thing. And they're since they're good at that, they're expected to be good at managing that. And they're not because it's a different skill set. And so I think a lot of people get put into these managerial leadership positions without the proper training, without necessarily having the right skills for that, for those types of positions. And then on the women's side, I think the same kind of issues that have always affected women being put into leadership positions. There's still a lot of misogyny in the corporate world. There's um, a lot of the old boys network and, and the women are left behind. Um, and at the same time, there's a lot of women who are juggling personal responsibilities, caregiving for children, for, for aging parents, for um, expected to do a lot more of the housework and a lot of single mothers and things like that. So, you know, a lot of challenges. Lots of hats to be worn throughout the day. Exactly. In many different capacities. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand that. It's so interesting because I think that in leadership, a lot of it's kind of recognizing who you are and who you want to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, so how do you help them become kind of the best version of themselves? You know, I think it's important that you figure out who you want to be and not necessarily model yourself or not not, not necessarily try to copy somebody else because you bring us, every person brings us very specific set of um, skills and experiences and attitudes and mindsets to, to the situation. And it's gonna be different for everybody and in every situation. So I think to be the best that you can be, you know, one, you have to figure out who you are, what are your values, what's important to you, and live by those values as much as you can, you know, then that's going to be different for everybody. Well, I think it's it's interesting, because when you have your core values, it makes decision making a little bit easier, right? Because it, it either fits into that or it doesn't. If you have your mission statement, you know, it fits into that or it doesn't. Like, are we staying on track with what we're trying to achieve as a company, as a family? you know, Absolutely. With, a, with a nonprofit, whatever, whatever that, whatever we're part of. You founded um, Design to Delivery, yes, which is an award-winning program management service. How did that come to be? What made you want to take that uh, leap of faith when you founded it? So as I said, um, I started that company t- a little over 20 years ago. My business partner and I were working at Deloitte and, in their federal practice. And so we decided to leave and start our own company We started it as a consulting firm to help small businesses with government contracting. Both of us had spent our entire careers in the government contracting industry. And so we wanted to help other small businesses. And after several years of doing that, we decided to start bidding on contracts for ourselves. We had helped other people do it. So we said, we can do it for ourselves. So then we, we started focusing on growing our own government practice. And that's been very successful. And we've been doing that for specifically or or primarily, I should say, for about 12 years now. Um, And we've grown um, significantly over the years. So we were on the Inc. 5000 list several times and um, received other awards. So what I think what made me decide to take the leap, I don't like people telling me what to do. You know, (laughs) I want to be able to go which whatever direction I want to go in and have control of my life and my time and my decisions and I'm just a very uh, independent person. Yeah, entrepreneurship, it's funny because I hadn't always wanted to be a business owner, but I think after about 10 years in corporate, I was like, okay, I think I think I'm ready to be on my own now. I think it's time for me to, 
to go out on my own and start something. One of the biggest misconceptions of being a CEO or a business owner is that, you know, you get to work your own time and you don't have to work as, I, I always say the best definition of an entrepreneur is somebody who's willing to work 80 hours a week so they don't have to work 40. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So yeah. in other words, you're willing to work 80 hours. It's not that you're not willing to work hard. You just want to do it for the things you're passionate about exactly. or what you care about or get maybe get out of it 100% of what you put into it. Exactly. You're, you're putting your blood, sweat, and tears. I mean, come on. Yeah. You know, the, why, why not, right? Exactly right. Um, exactly so, right. So as... As a CEO, what would you say is one of your top priorities as the leader of your company? You know, as the CEO, I think the the number one priority is to set the vision and the direction of the company. I have a business partner, as I mentioned, and so we kind of split the responsibilities, the leadership responsibilities. So I'm the client-facing partner. I'm in charge of making sure that the work that we're doing for our clients is top quality and the clients are happy and um, all of our program managers who run our individual contracts report to me, as well as the business development function. So I'm out like talking to potential new clients and developing teaming relationships and things like that. And then my business partner, Diana, is in charge of all the internal operations. So she oversees HR and accounting and payroll and benefits and IT and security and all that stuff. So that's kind of how we've split it. So yeah, I think so, you know, setting the vision, um, which we do together, and then uh, implementing it, making sure we're going in the right direction, making sure our clients are happy, making sure our employees are doing a good job, all that kind of thing. So I, you know, I'm, I speak for a living and I'm fortunate I get to speak to a lot of CEO groups and, and companies. And I get asked on podcasts all the time, like, what is the one differentiator between, you know, mediocre and exceptional leadership? And I say it's visionary leadership. So I'm so happy to hear you agree with that, that that's an important part of it because, you know, setting that standard, even, even just with you and your partner, right. Yeah. Just to know like who's doing what. And by the way, maybe that's something you're not as good at. So, you know, you deal with HR and you deal with the accounting side and let me be the people facing. Exactly. Part of the company. That's why we split it up that way. Cause she's really good at that stuff. And she likes to dig into the details and the minutia of it. And I'm much more big picture uh, relationship building type person. So, yeah. So in, in line with that, you talk a lot about building community as a leader. Mm -hmm. And so if someone wants to create a community of their own, what would you say is the most important thing for them to keep in mind? You know, I think it's important to build when you're building a community to give everyone agency. You can still be the leader, but be open to giving people input. They want to feel heard. They want to feel like they belong. They want to feel uh, seen and understood. And so I think keeping those things in mind, being approachable, being authentic, and really not treating everybody the same, but treating everybody fairly um, is important in building a community. So I want my listeners to hear what she just said, because that's important. You know, being appreciative, being authentic. I mean, you know, and, and, and are you fair with the people around you? Because I think that does matter. I mean, people just want a, a fair shake, an opportunity, whether you're a man, woman, whatever, you know, Absolutely. background you have, like, just give me a shot. And by the way, don't judge me based on like who you see on the outside, but like, what, what is my soul? What is my heart? What is my desire, my passion, my skill level, my mindset? Like what, all, what value does that bring to the table? Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I just ask everyone listening to make sure that they're taking a, like a little self-evaluation and saying, hey, within my company, within my, you know, among my coworkers, within my family, like, am I giving everyone a fair shake? Am I being letting them be their authentic self? Yeah. And I think that's a big part of it. And the other so, thing, the other part of that of, the... of community building is to people want to belong to things that are bigger than themselves. People want to feel like they're, you know, doing something important and that they're 
um, really contributing. So even if, you know, there's a story about you go to a hospital and you ask the janitor, what do you do? And he says, I save lives. Um, because he sees himself as being part of this bigger system as opposed to I I sweep floors or whatever. You know, you want the people who are working for you, no matter what they do, to, to be part of the group, to to buy into your vision and the mission of the organization and to feel like they're contributing to its success. So, you know, I'm going to use that story. So thank you for sharing that with me. I love that about the janitor because it's true. I mean, there's such a bigger picture. And when someone feels attached to something and, and they feel cared for, what do they want to give you? They're going to give you 100%, not because they have to, because they want to. Right. And you know in your own soul there's a difference. Like when you want to be somewhere, when you want to be part of something. And 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 so again, you know, I challenge my listeners like to, you know, have you created an environment within your family, within your company, whether you're the owner, or whether you're, a, a, you know, an employee, whatever you are, where the people around you not only want to be there, but they want to be around you. Yeah. They want to be, they want to be part of what you're doing because you've, you know, in your own power zone, whether that's a lot or a little created such an infectious attitude and, Mm -hmm. and vision for them that they want to be part of it. And, and it can be done within a family, it can be done within a company, but it starts with leadership. Absolutely. So, you know, having a daughter that I've raised, who's now 24, who I want to be a strong, independent person who, you know, calls her own shots and creates her own opportunities and having, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a smart wife that, you know, has, has in her own path, you know, done great things. What does it mean for you to be an advocate for women? To me, it means supporting organizations that support women, helping women to be stronger and to be independent and self-sufficient, and then advocating for change to help women to get to to those points, to be self-sufficient, to be taken care of, and then also to help change the laws and change the, the parts of society that keep women in that lesser position. So what what barriers do you see for women in that in business that can be changed or approved upon right now? Well, right now, you know, the pandemic has had a horrific effect on women in the workplace. The vast majority of jobs that were lost were jobs that were traditional women's jobs. Daycare, so many daycares closed and childcare is unavailable or unaffordable for a lot of women. So a lot of women had to drop out of the workplace because they couldn't afford to put their kids in daycare. You know, there's just a, that all of those types of things, as well as the traditional, the traditional hierarchy, the, especially at the higher levels of management, you know, the, the men, older men who don't see women as equals, who want to be surrounded by guys who look like them. Um, I just think, you know, the, it's been, it's been shown that the more diversity there is at the senior management level in a company, the more successful the company is. Um, but there's still a lot of people who resist that, who refuse to believe it. And so I think it's just really important that more companies start bringing more women into the higher levels of management. You know, it's it's, it's so funny because, and I, I'm debating whether to even bring it up because, so my company, I own a, co- a title company. It's entirely women-led. The CFO, the CEO, like they're all, they're all women. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I hate to say this, but it's not because they're women that I hire them. It's because they're the best people for the job. And by the way, they're smart and they're, you know, highly, you know, highly intuitive and, and, you know, just do an amazing job and they're really good at what they do. And so, you know, it's kind of what what I want for my daughter is just the opportunity to lead, like, give me that chance, regardless of who I am or what I've been through, like, give me that chance. And, and that comes down to mindset and not, not being a victim in the situation, but taking ownership over your own situation. And, that's why I loved your new book title. You know, it's master your mindset and without giving too much away, 
what does it look like to you to master your mindset as a leader? Like, what does it entail? So the book um, I split up into is 13 chapters and each chapter is a different area of mindset. Um, so for example, getting past imposter syndrome, developing resilience, being confident, be uh, developing a growth mindset, things like being approachable, being um, authentic. All of those are different mindset areas. And I interviewed about 30 different women leaders in a variety of industries. And I gave them that list of mindsets and said, pick two or three of these that have meant something to you, have re resonate with you based on your leadership experiences. And let's just talk about them. And so in each chapter, as I describe what that mindset is all about, um, I weave in the stories that were told to me by the different women that I interviewed. In terms of the mindsets, you know, it's, there's not one that matters more than any other. Um, and there's not just, you know, and nobody's perfect at all of them, obviously, because nobody's perfect, right? But I think in order to be the most effective leader possible, you want to identify what those mindsets are, figure out where you stand in terms of how good you are at those different things, and then maybe identify some areas where you might need to beef up your skills a little bit or, or get your mind in a different place around those things. So I have this debate all the time. It talks about like your strengths, you know, and doubling down on your strengths is a prime, uh, trying to improve, you know, what you're lacking or whatever. And what do you, what do you think about that? Because I, I personally, well, I mean, I'll let you answer the question before I tell you what I think, but you know, do, do you focus on kind of what you need to be better at or do you, or do you try to kind of double down on what you're really good at? I think it depends on the situation. Um, in this case with the mindsets, I think, you should try to at least be decent at almost all of them if you can. In terms of skills, yes, I agree that there are some times that it makes more sense to focus on and really be good at the ones that you're good at and forget about the ones that you're not. I mean, I am horrible at foreign languages. <laughs> so you know what? I'm not going to spend my time taking Spanish classes because I know I'm not going to do it. I'm going to focus on doing things that I'm good at. Um, I think when it comes to skill areas, it's more... You should more focus on improving the things you're good at and letting go of the things that you're not. But in terms of mindsets, I think it's more important to try to be better at the things that you're try to improve the things that are weaker, are weaker for you. Well, well, this is horrible news because I just found out I'm never going to be a rock star <laughs> and maybe because it's, I have no voice whatsoever. Right. So true story, six, sixth grade, 36 kids tried out for chorus, 35 made it, one did not. And the teacher told, I said, what do I do? Because, you know, it's practice at 2.30. She goes, you can try again next year. I said, I'm not going to be here next year. I'm going on, on to middle school. She goes, then I'm sorry. So my <laughs> entire life, if I sang around the house, my dad would say, don't you think that choir teacher knew what she was talking about? You know, so anyway, um, so I, I guess I shouldn't try to create that skill because it's, yeah, it's, it's give not it going to happen for me. Yeah. But <laughs> maybe I'll do some other things. But, but no, you know, speaking of that and switching gears a little bit, I, I like hobbies and I read that you enjoy gardening. I do. Yeah. When and how did you start that? Was that something from when you were early, when, you know, um, early on in your life? Well, you know, it's kind of funny because my mom is a big gardener. And when I was a kid, she always used to make me weed and I hated it. Um, and so I never really was into it that much. But then as I got older and got my own home, the, when I bought my first home, it had a little yard. And I was and I was like, you know, I think I want to make this prettier. And so I started, you know, planting a few things here and there. And, you know, as the years have gone by, I've gotten more and more um, into gardening. And in the home where I live now, I've completely removed my front yard and turned my entire front yard into a garden. So it's just... It's one of those things that as, as I've grown older, I've gotten more and more um, obsessed with it. 
Well, you know, you know, and I think this is good for, for my listeners to hear, because here's what I love about that. So it, it, it can be gardening, it can be music, it can be walks, whatever it is. I mean, kind of find something, an outlet to kind of get out mm-hmm. and be able to spend some, some you time, some me time. Yeah. And, uh, and just from a mental health perspective, you know, have that release, have that opportunity. I mean, I think that plays a big role in it. That's, that's my stress reliever is digging in the dirt. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, so so since I grew up, you know, we didn't we didn't grow up with much, but I mowed lawns, and I will admit, there's nothing better when you edge a nice lawn or create this beautiful space around, you know, with a garden or whatever that is. There's something very satisfying about that, where it looks complete and looks beautiful. And you know, I think that's what it is. Maybe since that's because I push paper for a living, that you know, when you're gardening, you can make a huge difference, a visible difference in just a few hours. You know clearing out the leaves and the sticks and planting pretty flowers or whatever it is you're planting. And it looks completely different in just a short hours. And you see the visible um, results of your effort. Plus, depending upon what you're gardening, you can eat, you know, all these great things. I mean, it's all very, I mean, there's a whole holistic side to that, that I love. Um, So, so how do you go about finding balance amongst all the projects that you take on? Cause I mean, when I was looking through, you know, you, you were very involved in a lot of different things and, I'm sure probably people out there like, Hey, I've got so much going on in my life. Like, how do you do that? How do you keep that balance? So how do you do it? I don't take anything on unless I know that I can do it. First of all, you know, some people will say yes to everything. I think I ha- I'm very strategic about what I say yes to. I do have a lot of different projects that I work that I'm working on at any given time, but I only take on those things that are important to me that I think that that I can make an impact, a positive impact on the organization or the group that it is involved with. And I really try to, to take weekends off. Weekends to me are almost sacred. Weekends are my gardening time. They're my time to hang out with my friends and relax and you know travel or do whatever. And so I just, I figure out how to make it work. If it means I have to work late during the week, then I'll work late during the week. Then. But I don't know, somehow I managed to get it done. I think part of it is also that I don't have young kids. And so <laughs> I don't have carpools and other other issues that a lot of people, you know, take up a lot of their time. So let me ask you, during that sacred time, do you spend a lot of time on the phone, on computers, like, or is that off the table on the weekends? On the weekends? No, no. Mm-mm. Yeah. So does, does yeah. the staff and everybody kind of know that they just don't reach out to you on the weekends? I'm just curious, because this is this is interesting. Yeah, only on only if it's if it's really important. If it's an emergency, they can call me. But for the most part, yeah, the phone is the phone is put away on the charger, and the computer's not. You know, I don't sit at the computer. I'm I'm outside. I'm doing things. And summertime, I'm you know kayaking on the river or uh, doing something, going out to eat or yeah. Weekends are weekends are personal time. So I guess that that's something I want to challenge again my listeners to do. Maybe find your find your sacred time. I mean, find if that's a couple hours each night. If that's on the weekends, whatever it is, but put down the cell phone, turn off the technology, engage with people. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I talk a lot yeah. um, about the Molly, the the myth of work life balance. Like, I don't think it's real. Like, I think it's a it's the biggest lie on society because you know by the time we get done sleeping and working, how much time is left? I mean, few hours each night. Right. And so I advocate work life presence. You know, be where you are and be there fully. And I love that on those weekends, that sacred time that you are there, you are there fully, you are totally immersed in, in the situation, the project, whatever, the gardening, whatever it is, the kayaking. Yeah. I love that. So uh, thank you for that. And I think that uh, 
if if we get anything out of today, it's it's creating that sacred time. It's it's you know allowing that to kind of propel mm-hmm. you for the rest the rest of the week or the or the next week that's yeah to come. So absolutely, I think it's important. I think it's important because there's always going to be work that you can be doing. You just have to decide that you're it can wait. So before we go, and I appreciate your time, is there anything else you'd like to say that we haven't already talked about or anything you'd like to plug or talk about that you're working on? My book, as you mentioned, just came out recently, last two weeks ago. Uh, it's called Master Your Mindset, How Women Leaders Step Up. And so it's available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and all the different websites. And then I'm working on um, turning the book into an online course and creating a community around that. And so if anybody's interested in learning more about that, they can go to Vellamo, V-E-L-L-A-M-O-leadership.com. And we'll make sure to put that in the show notes and all the different links and a link to the book and everything else. Uh, but Molly, I thank you. No, no, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your insight and perspective. I know everyone can learn from it and I'm grateful I've gotten to learn myself. So appreciate your time and uh, lead well. Thank you for having me. I hope you got some great takeaways for your personal life and career and feel inspired to take on the challenges to create your future. I'm Dan Quiggle. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Garage to Goliath. Please share this podcast with your family, friends, and network. Also, please rate, review, and subscribe to this leadership podcast in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Your feedback helps us improve and also gets the message out to more listeners around the world. To rate, review, and subscribe, please visit quigglegroup.com forward slash iTunes. That's Quiggle, Q-U-I-G-G-L-E, group.com, forward slash iTunes. Thank you for listening to Garage to Goliath. I'm Dan Quiggle. Lead well.